All right. <clears throat> so, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, just that bit there, <laughs> um, just to get into Peter, as we all know who Peter is. But, and obviously, I'm not. I don't know how often I'm going to be filling in or whatnot. But I've, however many times I do in the future, forever long it takes, I'll probably dabble in Peter for a while. So. To get into Peter, who we all know, um, Peter was, you know, he's kind of like team captain of the apostles, kind of, not really. I mean, they were all the same. But Peter was the guy who was always in the forefront of them, Um, always making, I mean, kind of loud, (laughs) always talking, always having something to say. But all that aside, was an important apostle. Jesus is, uh, Peter is the only of a lot of things. What I mean by that is he, um, Jesus rebuked Peter more than any other disciple. Peter was the only disciple who rebuked Jesus. (laughs) Peter confessed Jesus more boldly and accurately than any other uh, disciple. Peter denied Jesus more forcefully and more publicly than any other disciple. Jesus praised Peter more than any other disciple, and Jesus addressed Peter as Satan alone among the disciples. There's some good things in there, and there's some bad things in there. Peter is just the front, the forefront of a lot of things that happen between him and Jesus. And it's that comfort, I think, that we can all take in... Um, in who Peter was, and maybe our identification of ourselves in a disciple or in, in, a, in an apostle. I know a lot of Christians do that. We, you know, read about the characteristics of whichever disciple, and you might think, oh, I, there's characteristics in that person that I can identify with. Um, I really feel like a lot of people can identify with Peter because it's really easy to see his knuckleheadedness. Like, I think we all can see that in ourselves. A lot, maybe some more often in some of us than others, but it's usually Peter's bad things that happen. Where I, unfortunately, I'm like, yeah, I, I can see myself in that. I can, I do that. Um, I mean, the most heartbreaking thing ever is to be the fact that I, in myself, have been able to identify the times in my life where I maybe have denied Jesus in a moment where I should have not. Sure, there's times when, like Jesus, I've or like Peter, I've proclaimed him powerfully. I have. I've been used in that way, and that's I'm blessed that I've been able to do that and that I took the opportunity to. But there are other times where, in the face of opportunity, I didn't, whether it would be through laziness or fear or whatever. And, I mean, Peter, so much as, you know, swearing and cursing, I don't know the man, Not didn't even say his name. I didn't. I don't know the man you're talking about. And then the other thing, you know, kind of rebuking Jesus. Like, how dare you say that? I don't know about anybody here, but I don't, like, in times of my life when praying, like, Lord, what do you want me to do in my life? What direction should I be going? There's times when I might have maybe heard or thought I was having a leading of the Lord that I didn't like. And there's definitely a little bit of a wrestling or maybe a complete and outright, like, nope, not doing that. And that's also something that I, you know, identify with. So there's a lot in Peter, the, who he is as a man, 
that I think we can we can identify with. The fascinating thing here, Peter says, um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that's it. He doesn't continue with his um, self-titling, um, which is interesting. Paul, on many occasions, actually kind of elaborates a bit more. Paul usually, or in four different occurrences, specifically um, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and I believe it's Ephesians, um, starts his book by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, like by the Lord Jesus or in the name of God or because of God, the father, he like gives a little bit extra of like why he's an apostle. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ because God has said so. Peter doesn't get into that. He just says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that's it. Um, and that's kind of a, it is kind of a big deal. And it's, it shows his authority because you can't just say you're an apostle unless it's true. Cause it was a, it's a big, it was a big seat to have to be one of Jesus's apostles is remarkably small list of people. Um, and he is this. And this letter that we're reading, this epistle, is going out to essentially the Christian world. It's not like addressed to one church. It's going out to the Christians. We see in the next st statement here, it says, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So it's going out to just the, the Christian world in essentially Asia Minor at the time. So all these people see here reading this, they immediately know who Peter is. Peter's Peter's a legend in this, even at this time. I mean, nowadays everybody knows who Peter is, but even back then, the Christian world, they get a letter from Peter, and it's a big deal. So he doesn't get into his title very much. He just says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, pilgrims is referring here to there's a lot of terms for pilgrim. Obviously, there's like an American pilgrims, kind of not really that way. People who sojourn or travel to a religious place to worship. But this is more talking about people that because of this dispersion they're talking about throughout the Jewish history at this point in time, there has been a lot of dispersion that's taken place because of different people either invading and or conquering Jerusalem and Israel and persecution that has caused people to flee. There's a lot of Christians going all over the place. Um, and he is, in fact, communicating specifically to Gentiles here. We do, throughout the book of First um, Peter, we see that. he, First um, Peter 1.18, we see that he says, um, for, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold um, from your vain um, conversation received by tradition from your fathers, also in 2.10, he says, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That is not a reference to Jews. He's referring to the Christian world, possibly Jew and Gentile alike. It's the Christian world. So the pilgrims he's speaking of aren't necessarily the Jews who've dispersed from Jerusalem, but it's the Christian world and where they've scattered over the world. So talking to Christians here, you and me alike. Now verse 2, elect. So, to the pilgrims from these places, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Um, he immediately begins with the word elect. Elect. 
Um, he uses this word because there's, it's true. Those of us who have obtained salvation, who have received Christ, we are the elect of God. There's no denying that. There's a lot in that, the word elect. Election is a huge topic in Christian, the Christian world, and there's, it'll probably be hotly debated until the Lord returns. Of the, the ins and outs of what exactly election is, you know, Calvinism, Armenianism, how they are um, disagreed amongst, but the whatever. The word here, though, was used. It's a it's a form of uh, encouragement. There's there's a um, a reinforcement in that when a Christian who's receiving this letter is now addressed as elect. Now that's Peter acknowledging your election. That it's kind of an inclusion that Peter is almost just immediately addressing you with. You are one of the elect, and it's like, oh, great. So there's a little bit of it's an encouraging word. He could have used other words, you know, brethren. Whatever, but he uses elect because that is a spiritually significant term. Now, election for it, he says according to the foreknowledge. So, for, according to the foreknowledge of God describes the nature of their election. God's choosing. God doesn't choose us, us elect randomly or uninformed. There's it's a it's purposeful. It's according to his foreknowledge, which is an aspect of his omniscience. Foreknowledge includes prior knowledge of our choice and our response to the gospel, but it's not solely dependent upon our choice and our decision and reception of the gospel. It's, Will has brought it up before. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting and deep co concept that our finite minds can't fully grasp, but God foreknew who his elect would be and in the foreknowledge of that was able to have the elect be who we are. And it's not solely dependent on the foreknowledge of our reception of the gospel, but it's partly conditional upon. It's it's deep. Pray about it, seek it out on your own time. What the Lord leads you to... Uh, hear and see and understand about election and foreknowledge. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, Yeah, back. I'm just gonna back up real quick. He does mention in there in in verse two um, that it, according to the foreknowledge of God in sanctification um, of the Spirit for obedience. That is the other part, though, of election that that those of us who claim election, those of us who claim to be Christians, it can't be an empty thing. Like you know, we know people who claim to claim Christendom that say I'm a Christian, and there's no evidence at all that would suggest that there needs we do need to have a demonstration of our of our christian lives to the world i mean love and faith should be something that is evident in to other people um and you know i'm not going to tell you how that looks because you need to seek that out on your own while god wants to use you but sanctification should be evident in your life people 
especially to other believers like us in this church. You know, people should be able to, you know, somewhat observe your life and see a form of setting apart from the world. If we're in this church and we're continuously like kind of in the world and we're not really setting, being set apart from the world more and more, okay, well, your growth is either very little or non-existent. That's not a good sign. And obedience, we should all be obedient to this word, to whoever's your spiritual leaders. Obedience and sanctification should be something that's evident. But moving on. So, once again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again. Begotten us again is kind of the same mindset of kind of born again. It's not actually the same terminology linguistically, but that's his implication there of being able to be born again. According to his abundant mercy, and that's the thing, mercy is where it starts. Without mercy... We couldn't have the other things. We we deserve nothing but hell. We're wretched humans. But because of Christ's mercy, we have been begotten again um, to a living hope through through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. And we need to understand that. We're going to get down a little further talking about those those Christians who haven't seen yet they haven't seen god because peter has peter lived with jesus he got to see him the people he's addressing here are like us they never saw jesus most likely some of them might have and then left but most most likely these people had never laid eyes on jesus like us and there's a there's an encouragement in that of like it's okay that doesn't matter it doesn't make peter any better of a christian or any closer it doesn't matter it's our faith in christ that matters anyways there were people who saw Jesus who didn't have good faith at all. So the sight, the, the seeing of Jesus isn't what's important. It's the knowledge that it's living. Christ is alive currently, right now, seated on the throne beside the Father. So it says that So, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That is an amazing, this is such a good description of what it is that we are all doing. (laughs) Like, why why do we pursue Jesus? He's, He's worthy of it. We love him. But our reward is an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. That is actually not really telling us anything about what our inheritance is. It's telling us essentially what it is not. And that's the thing. We can compare what we don't know of it to the things that we do know that are good in this world. Later on, it talks about gold. It talks about silver, these perishable items that, sure, on earth have incredible value. But compared to our eternity in heaven with our king, what is so it's nothing it's worthless it's going to fade away but our inheritance will never fade away it says reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of god through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time how do we get it through it's by the power 
of God through faith. Faith is so incredibly important. Our faith is so incredibly important. It goes into explaining what, how our faith is strengthened. It says, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. We can greatly rejoice. It says, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved. So there's a lot in this. Because, you know, there's the mindset. And usually seasoned Christians understand that it's not this way. But I think a lot of times from the outside, people see Christians or people look on at a Christian's life. Maybe your family. And when you go through your own trial, they're like, oh. Like they treat it like we should be bulletproof, like we, because you know you have God. Why are you like? Why is anything afflicting you? And that's the thing. I feel like that's such a a lie that is presented sometimes. That like you know big Christian rallies or whatnot of big altar calls that like once you do this, once you accept Christ or say that prayer, everything's fine now, and the rest of your life is just a walk in the park. And that's just so incredibly opposite. <laughs> Yes, you have the Lord to lean on. And you have our faith. We have our faith in Christ, which gets us through the trials that we hear about here, but it's not easy at all. It's it, it, it says being grieved by various trials. It's it's understandable and accepted that you're going to have time in your life of grief. You are going to have that. But it is the faith that we have that is incorruptible that can't perish and fire like silver and gold that will get us through those times of grief and it says there at the it's the beginning of verse 8 but ending that thought saying saying um whom having not seen you love i've never seen jesus but i love him you've never seen jesus but we love him it's not the sight it's our faith we we know we trust this word that we read, we trust what we're told by the writers, by Jesus himself. And we know without seeing Christ that we will see him. We have the hope that we have this reward, this inheritance that's incorruptible. And yeah, that absolutely is what gets us through. I mean, the world, as Oliver mentioned in the introduction this morning, is crazy. Only getting crazier and will only get crazier. It's already almost unbearable. Like a daily, like, Lord, just please return. Because, I don't know, you read some absolutely out there comment by some crazy person, you're just like, I can't handle much more of this. <laughs> People are losing their minds, and I just want the Lord to return. I want to be in heaven. I don't want to deal with this anymore. But it's, and I mentioned it to Abby, like, going through days, I'm like, man, if I wasn't saved, if I, if I didn't have the Lord, if I didn't have this faith, I don't know what I, where I'd be. I don't know what my life would be like. I don't know if I'd be here. Honestly, I don't. I mean, I understand. Like, I look at people in the world, and I look at, like, depression rates and suicide rates, and it's horrible. But I'm like, I get it. If I don't have Jesus, sure. 
I would contemplate certain things because the world is horrible. It is Jesus that gets me through the day. I mean, I love my friends and family, but without Jesus, I don't know if that would be enough. I don't know. I really don't. Jesus is so important to having this this incorruptible faith that that pulls us through. Continuing in verse 8, Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's it right there. I mean, joy inexpressible. It's inexpressible. I don't know if you've ever, you've, I guarantee you've all had moments probably in your in your walk with the Lord where you just, maybe you're reading the word or you're whatever, whatever you are in with the Lord in the moment. Are you just so happy and excited and thrilled to be one of the Lord's anointed, one of the elect? I don't know, and you just you can't really put into words. You're just you're just happy, and we have joy, and we go out in the world and we look happy, and people think we look weird. <laughs> Why are you so happy? I don't know. I have a little. I have Jesus. It's really crazy. Seeing I don't know if you've noticed, but like when I see people out in the world that like look happy, it's like weird now. Like sometimes I see people who like actually have like a pleasant face on. I'm like, oh, the person's actually happy. Interesting. Everyone else, I mean, most people look out and like, especially in the winter in Maine. <laughs> but like, people usually have like, I mean, their face matches exactly the weather. It's glum and I hate everything and it's cold and I don't want to talk to anyone. And it's crazy, but like, man, I, you know, you open a door for somebody or whatnot, and people are like, oh, thanks, and they're nice. It blows you me away nowadays, and it's weird that common. Well, that's an uncommon courtesy nowadays. It's incredibly shocking. It's just very telling of our world right now. But that's the joy that, as Christians, honestly, we should have that all the time. And I don't. You know, there's days where I'm, I don't have the joy of the Lord on my face that I should. But that in itself is a really awesome witness tool. Just showing joy to the world. To a world that does not experience people having joy on their face a lot. Because who knows my, who might... Maybe even, again, mockingly ask you, like, man, why are you so happy? Well, that's an opportunity right there to share. Even if somebody's kind of poking at you, like, man, most people probably won't ask you why you're smiling. That's weird to ask a stranger that. But they might have had it happen. and um, Or a friend that you know that maybe isn't safe. That's very common. Go and hang around people that you know or you're spending time with friends or whatever that aren't saved, and you just you're just happy. And I, the question might come up: Why are you so happy? Why you look like that? It's annoying. Stop being happy. It's a great opportunity to share that they can have that exact same joy. Ten of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. This. This next section here is being talked about in a way that's it's almost a um, it's reinforcing that he's not talking about this that the other disciples aren't bringing all this up and it's just some fresh new idea. It's like an evidence that this is what this is the same what we're talking about right now in First Peter. What Peter is writing, he's saying has been this is what the prophets have been talking about. You guys just missed it. Because there's a lot of Jews that possibly came from Judaism that are now Christians that are going to be receiving this as well that may in fact read this and be like, eh, new, new age. You know, in their mindset, it might have been new age, some weird thing. This is him saying that, no, this is absolutely um, 
this is the same thing. There's no differentiating. Like the Old Testament was proclaiming exactly this. This is what the prophets were seeking. So, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That's a very wordy way of saying it. I mean, look, there's so many prophecies in the Old Testament that clearly talk about Jesus. Like, there's no way of getting around that. I mean, the big one that, it's big because I know that talking to people from Israel that are Jewish either don't know it exists or hate it is Isaiah 53. I mean, that's blatant talking about Jesus being, you know, he crushed for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. Like that, that in, I know in, I won't say every because it's possibly not every, but in many Hebrew Torahs, when in their book of Isaiah 53, isn't there. It, there's a 53, but they've just taken it out and moved all the other subsequent chapters back a, a bit. But they don't, they don't have it. Because if you ask them, like specifically like people who work in the synagogue, like, what about this? Well, they'll either say that's false and it was added to your Bible, or they'll acknowledge it and say, yeah, I don't know. Because you can't read Isaiah 53 and be like, oh, who's that talking about? It's Jesus. It's like clearly Jesus. So this is what he's saying. Like, it's been right in front of your face. The prophets have talked about this. Well, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering. The things which now have been reported to you um, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. And now right there, I mean, it's great wording. It's true. The things that we have been we now have the like the opportunity to know because of the people who've preached it to the early church which has now led to us we know things we've been revealed things through the holy spirit sent by heaven things which angels desire to look into because angels desire that jesus is what well. it's it's what it's everything it, it is everything and we have because of this book the opportunity to know things that angels also desire to know. The Word of God, we it's incredibly remarkable how in, awesome this book is and how revealing and how, yeah, this book is incredible. And he's trying to get the people he's writing to to understand, like what you are being presented is more valuable than gold. And he's, they need to know that. 13. Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. The that same type of you know altar call thing that I brought up. I've been to so many of them where, even as a younger Christian, when I didn't really know that much, I still always thought they were a little odd. 
And if anybody here got saved through one of those, praise God. I'm not knocking it entirely. But there's definitely, I think, a lot missed out on those altar calls because people, you know, ton of people, somebody comes up, talks to some random person, they say the prayer, they give them a book or something, and they, like, go away. Or they tell them, yeah, you're saved, everything's great, you're going to heaven now. And like it's just like blanket statement, that's it. I mean, this is like a whole, like right here, this is like, what am I supposed to do next? Well, this right here, they should yeah, go read this, because you need to gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, obedient, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts. I mean, people I know that got saved that immediately just started kind of doing the same stuff they were doing before, but they're like, it's okay, because now I can repent from it. And I'm like, what? That's not... That's not it. That is very Catholic. I mean, we can't just, I don't know. I, yeah. I always bring up my experiences with the Catholic and or Orthodox Church in Europe. But yeah, how they love their church and they didn't want to change. We'd have great evangelistic times with people, specifically Orthodox in Eastern Europe. We'd Orthodox Christians. <laughs> Man, they, we would bring them through the whole circle of the gospel and how you don't need your priests and you don't need to go give money for sins and all this nonsense they do. And we're like, yeah, Jesus, grace. We get them right to where they need to be, and they're like, yeah, but I can just on Sunday go in and give them some money and light a candle and I'm fine. I'm like, You're missing the point. That's not, that's not repentance. That's just that's nothing. We need to... That girding up your loins. So many of us are like, our thoughts are messy. You know, like, it's unless we make a conscious effort to do that, to tidy up our minds, to gird them up, like their old, the clothes they used to wear, that's what they did. They'd gird up their loins to, like, run. And it's important to do because I know that there's times Sometimes in church, in the middle of a study or something, I'll be listening, and then all of a sudden I might stop, and I might be distracted or think about something else, and I'll be like, what am I thinking about right now? It's a waste of time. I need to get like, my mind under control. Be sober. I mean, that's pretty evident of what that means. There's a lot, actually, that means. But clear-headed. If anything else is, is causing your mind to not be at 100% maximum operating capacity, Whatever is impeding your mind needs to then stop. It's not just a foreign substance, but that could be something else like you're viewing or you're listening to, anything that is causing your head to not function at its proper way is wrong. Just idle thought about nonsense. And, I mean, our, our, I think probably our modern time is the worst at it because we're constantly filling our face full of stuff from social media and... There's always something in front of our head. And we're re I mean, I read so many stupid things that it's like, why did I just read that really long article about nothing? And I do it all the time. I do it all the time, and I hate it. Like, I could have just spent that time reading anything beneficial, and I did. I mean, you look, I, think of, I think of old men in this country, in history, that at like 14, 15 years old, like, knew so much important stuff. Because all they did was read important stuff. They didn't have other stuff wasting their time in their mind. They filled up their head with things that they needed. I mean, you look at Thomas Jefferson. Like, the stuff that that guy was able to accomplish before he was 18 years old. I don't have a list in front of me because 
This is just kind of off the top of my head. But I remember I've, I've read about him. Other men, Benjamin Franklin, some of the things that these guys just learned. Um, um, I can't think of his name. The missionary to China. It was really big. Um, Hudson Taylor. Read that guy's autobiography in Bible college. Before he was 18 years old, he uh, when he first knew that he wanted to do missionary work to China, I think he was 16, 15 or 16, he got rid of his bed, got rid of all of his furniture in his bedroom and just lay, like, slept on the wood floor because he knew that that's probably how he would be living in China. Started studying Chinese and Greek and Latin and Hebrew. And before he was 18, had a basic mastery of all of those languages. All right, cool. I don't know what I was doing when I was 16, but it wasn't that at all. Um, just the things that these that older generations did because they didn't have nearly at all the distractions we do. I remember my Bible college, one of my Bible college, probably my favorite Bible college teacher. Um, he was he talked about how um, when they were in Bible college they had to uh, memorize an entire book of the Bible, and I was like, <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Yeah, he memorized the entire book of Numbers in Bible college. I was like, pick a you didn't pick a more like either a shorter book or like a more fun book. He memorized the entire book of Numbers, and I'm like, that is so inspiring. I want to do that so badly. And then I felt even more lame because a guy in my class that year ended up memorizing all of Romans 8. And I was like, man, I am so lazy. It's embarrassing. But those are things that we, everybody is capable of doing this. It's just what are we filling our head with? Being sober-minded, girding up our loins, studying proper things, filling our head with God-centered things that are going to benefit us eternally, not just, yeah, never. Some things are going to benefit us never. It says in 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. I mean, that's just doing things that you know you shouldn't. That's easy. I mean, the concept is easy. The obedience sometimes is really difficult. But you know when you're doing something you shouldn't as a Christian. I mean, I've never been in the middle of doing something I shouldn't have done and been like, oh, I didn't know I shouldn't be doing this. Never. Never, ever, ever. Maybe in the beginning, like when I was a baby Christian. But at this point in my life, I pretty much know when I'm doing something I probably should. But I have my flesh that's like, but it's fine. And I'm no, I know I'm like, this isn't fine, but I do it anyways. That is being a child that looks at you and you're like, don't do that. And they're like, okay. And then they like, do the thing that, like, as they're looking at you, the thing you're not supposed to do. That's me when I'm like, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do this, God, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's so easy to conform yourself to former lusts, but that is the opposite of sanctification, and that is a bad thing. 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That is a really high bar. Thankfully, Jesus accomplishes that for us, but it doesn't mean we can't do anything. We know that. We can't just be like, yeah, Jesus has done it for me, so I'm good. No, we need to seek holiness in our life. Seek purity, seek holiness in every single aspect of our life. 
I know sometimes it's easy to hear something like that and think, well, I don't do these sins. But that's not necessarily what that is talking about. It's not saying I don't do certain things that are bad. It's also, again, going back up to the girding your mind and being sober. Okay, but purity and holiness is also avoiding things that are just dumb and like a waste of time. might not be wrong, but it's not wise either. Seeking holiness, being like Christ, is seeking everything that is eternally beneficial. Sanctification, obedience, humility, um, wisdom. There's so many things that are entailed in that be holy for I am holy. Something that we all need to seek and pray about all the time. It's hard. 17, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, can conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's the thing. that It ends that section in 17, having fear. Having fear. That's not fear, but that's that reverence. We know that. And that should be right in the front of our head every time there's any possibility of engaging in something that's not holy. We should have that seared into our, the front of our head. That every time we do that, our... our our conviction is so strong for the Lord that we immediately are like, no, we want nothing to do with this. And to just get rid of it, to flee from it. It's it's so it's such an easy concept, but it's in, in actually practicing and doing it, it can be so difficult. But we need to seek that holiness and seek that sobriety of mind so that in those moments of possible temptation, we immediately know in, our, in the wisdom that we've gotten from the Lord to immediately turn and seek the Lord, to sprint away from whatever circumstance you might be in that's causing you any temptation. And there's that lazy aspect of Christianity. Like, well, why doesn't God just not, you know, put me in the way? Or why doesn't he just take that away? He's given you the strength and the power to flee the temptation. He's already done that. It, that is now, yeah, you got to do it. He's not going to do necessarily everything. I mean, he bought your... Salvation with his blood. That's enough. When you're presented with, uh, hey, I should do this or that, do the not the bad thing. That's your job. And he's given us the power to not do that. And we need to know that. In fear. Have a fear of the Lord. I mean, again, I always, I always think of when thinking of the fear of the Lord, the sermon by... Um, was it Andrew Murray? Um, nope. Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I mean, I don't know if you've ever read it. You can listen to it on Amazon, or I mean on YouTube now, but Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God is an incredibly soberingly terrifying, because of its truth, message given by Jonathan Edwards, where he wrote it the night before and just read it in a very monotone voice to his church the next Sunday. And it was so scathingly truthful about like the reality of God's ability to just let anyone go to hell whenever, because he can at any moment. 
The fact that we're all just suspended above this canopy and the only thing keeping you from not breathing another breath is God willing you to do so. And at any moment, if he wanted to, could allow anybody to just die and go to hell right now. But he doesn't because he loves you. And it was like this crazy, every, there were people literally in their seats like in tears and like repenting right on the spot because it was so like brutally like, wow. Fear is, we, we, we need to understand the power that God has and the control over our life. And the fact that he is allowing us to be here and breathe right now so that we can worship him is amazing. But we shouldn't take the breath he is giving us and use it for anything other than praising and worshiping him. 18 again says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. You weren't bought with money. But we were bought with the precious blood of Christ. So valuable. I mean, the blood of Jesus bought your it bought you the opportunity to be in heaven forever with Jesus. We should not just see what we were bought with as meh, whatever. We need to see that and have that have that be part of the driving force behind our conviction. Knowing that Jesus died for you. Understand the seriousness of that and live for him. 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I mean, just the culmination of the gospel right there. It's through Christ we believe in God. God raised him from the dead. We gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We're nothing without Jesus. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He is everything, and we need to live like we know that. And we can't forget that. And I know I, I, there are moments in my life where I'm like, I am living as if I don't care about Jesus right now. And when we catch ourselves in a moment like that, we need to immediately repent. And it doesn't just mean saying sorry. Repentance is turning around. So one thing I liked when I was in Kyrgyzstan learning Russian Bible teaching was uh, in Russian. A lot of languages are this way, I know, but in Ru there's a lot, a lot of languages do not have a word for repent. It doesn't exist. Um, but they have their own way of expressing it. In Russian, it means um, the word, the phrase they use is essentially stop and go the other way is how you basically say that in Russian, kind of. Um, yeah, you, that is repentance. It's not just like, you know, you do something, you realize you've messed up and saying sorry and then keep going. It's that full understanding and purpose of heart of stopping your spiritual trajectory of life right now. Turn around and start going that way because you're currently, you've made a mistake, you're now going this way right now. Go the other way. We need to understand that we need to be repenting whenever we understand or see ourselves living in a way that's not for Jesus. 22. Since you, having purified your souls in obeying the truth, 
See, it's obeying the truth that purifies our souls. When we read this, when we read the word, when we hear the word, whatever, when we obey that, when we're obedient to what we're hearing, what we're reading, that is the purification of our souls. So, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abide forever, abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The word of God is eternal. This isn't just some book that contains the stories and ideas of the teachers that we list. This is the word of God. This is Christ. The word became flesh. Jesus, this is the word. We need to understand how incredibly remarkable and precious this book is and obey it to to the end of the world. Um, I mean, so many places on the earth don't have this. They don't have this at all. And like getting, you know, there's stories that come out of the underground church in China and Bhutan and crazy countries that kill people for having this, that like, you know, a church will get one page of a Bible and they'll like study that page nonstop until they can get another one. Like the Bible to them is so precious. And because we can just buy one at wherever, anytime, and we have like seven of them in a closet somewhere, it, we kind of, it, I don't know, a little bit sometimes we can lose the value in our head of what this is. And I know we, we cherish our Bibles. I know we love the Bible and we realize the importance of it. But let us all get a greater appreciation, right, even now for what it is and and just study it with all of our hearts and passion. And even myself, I've, I was convicted this week. You know, Will taught, asked me to teach. Um, I don't know. Not that long ago. But but it was the realization of, you know, since uh, Abby and I moved to a different place, um, and in that process, I just I haven't really been that diligent in my word, honestly. It was kind of hit me. And... Uh, I don't know. It's something that, uh, in the moment of me, not, if not, I don't know if you've ever had those stints in your life, or maybe it's been a week or so, that you realize, like, man, I really haven't been in the Word. Sometimes that realization doesn't break my heart. I'm like, yeah, I just, I'll just start. But then there's other times where it does, and I'm like, what am I doing? I just wasted two weeks of not having a good, like, a, the, the connection with Jesus that I should be having. And if you're in that position now, if maybe you would just, you know, have neglected or purposefully or not, you're reading in the Word. Read your Word. Read it. Pray. Be connected with the Lord because it really does change your day. <laughs> I mean, man, when you go a day or two, when you start the pattern of not, if you ever go, begin that pattern of not, it's like I don't even know why, but I'll like come, you know, that day or two would be like, man, these days have just been really terrible. I don't really know why. And then like a week or so later when I realize it, I'm like, that's why I've had a terrible week. 
I'm going to read my Bible. I've been so distanced from the Lord. And it's just, it's crazy how important and how it will literally positively affect your life. Like, just reading it. Seek the Lord. Sober your minds. Gird up your the loins of your minds. Let's, I mean, I want to try in my own life to be less connected to this. You know, maybe some of you have a great, you don't do that, and that's great. Awesome, I'm A and V U. But I I do. I look at my phone more than I should and I uh I hate it. Whenever I think about it, I hate it, and then I immediately do it again. So <laughs> something needs to change my life. But um I would love to use my time more wisely for the Lord and more eternally. So that's my prayer for myself. Um Lord, I pray that we would seek you more passionately, more fervently, and um that just our desire for you, for the word, for heavenly things, Lord, would uh, be more evident and more um, at the forefront of our of all of our lives. Some of us here might have be in a good place spiritually. Praise God, and I pray that continues and gets better. But for those of us maybe in this room who um, have an area of lacking in that, I pray that you would mend that right now and that it would start... Um, strong again right now give us your spirit as we leave i pray that we would again take the word um that we've heard go from this place not forgetting it and apply it to our life um even now and for the rest the rest of our lives um i pray that everybody gets home safe pray for um our nation it's a crazy world out there lord i pray that you would revive our nation if your will is to do so. If not, I pray you'd come and get us all soon. <laughs> we want to be with you in, in glory and in eternity, Lord. We love you and we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.